people hate your north. Come on, you glad to be in God's house? That's clap. It's good being here, isn't it? <laughs> well, hey, if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And for everyone here who's here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us today. And uh, today is a special day to be in God's house. We're starting a new series um, all the way through, oh, actually for the next five weeks. And uh, I'm excited about this series of conversations, um, particularly because we've never done anything like this in the history of our church. We've never really, intention, with intention, looked back um, at the founding of our nation um, and traced the handprint of our Father, our Heavenly Father, um, throughout our history. And I want to set the table for you today. Uh, I, we're in this conversation. I've asked uh, several uh, people to join me on the platform through this series um, that you're going to be blessed by as they come and they share. But um, today, I, I just want to set the table. Does it make sense to you? I, 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 I know throughout the series we're going to get into some stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. But today, I just want to set the table. I want you to, to understand how to, to, to see the direction of this conversation or where you should posture yourself or where you should be attentive as we approach this. And um, this word trust, and some of you, maybe you were offended when you saw that, in God we trusted. And I, I suppose we, we phrase it that way with intention because... Um, when the nation was founded, it was in God who we trusted. Um, and it is evident and it's littered throughout our history and even our present day. And though it is being erased in some portions of our society, we cannot carry any note or any, any currency in our pocket that does not say on it, in God we trust. We say a pledge of allegiance that declares that we're still one nation under God. And some of you might be here and you might be saying, hey, why are we doing a series about our nation? Why are we, why are we talking about all this? Now, obviously, you know um, the presidential election is um, just a few weeks away. And some of you, just by the mere fact that I said that, you're sick to your stomach. You're done with it. You don't want to talk about it. You want it to be over. You want to close your eyes, wake up and say, it's finished. I don't want to talk about it, think about it. And I have to be honest, I'm with you in, in many respects to it. But I've learned something in life that every time things get difficult, you don't have the privilege to bury your head in the sand and just, you know, click your heels together three times and wish that you weren't there. There's a responsibility that you're called to. But I really want us as a family, as a spiritual family, to be focused on that which is most important. And I don't want us to be overwhelmed with everything that's going on around us. I don't want us to be... Um, uh, frustrated to the point where we cannot have conversations. I, I recently, in conversation with a friend, said to him, have you noticed in society today that if you disagree with someone about anything, you just don't talk about it? And soon enough, we're going to become a nation if God doesn't intervene and if the church doesn't take a lead the way that I believe that we're called to take a lead, we won't talk about anything. Every conversation we, we have will be not of substance. It would just be of small talk. How's the weather today? What'd you eat for lunch? <laughs> nice shirt. <laughs> nice shoot. That's it. We won't get it. Why? Because the fear of offending or going against a, 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 the cultural norm. And I want us to be a people that can sit down with people that may completely differ in every aspect of not only politics or of society, but even our beliefs. And still love them and care for them and represent Christ. Can you say amen? The word trust simply means to have a firm belief in the reliability, truth, 
ability or strength of someone or something. Maybe the question is not what is trust, but who do you trust? Now we talk about trust often in church, but I want us to really have you ever had the conversation, all of us I'm sure have at some point, where you're in an interaction with someone and, and you say, hey, yeah, you can take my car, or yeah, you can watch my kids, or yeah, you can borrow my, my best suit or my best shirt or something, and maybe your other friend looks at it and you're like, do, do, do you trust them, you know? And normally our response is, yes, because I know them, I know them. No one would say, yes, I trust them. I don't know who they are, but yes, I trust them. It's craziness. The way that trust is formulated or formulated, developed in, 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 in us and in other people is our knowledge of the person. And the more we know them, the more we trust them. And so as we trust people in our lives, I want us to focus on how do we form trust with our Heavenly Father. How is that developed? How is that cultivated in our lives? In Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, listen to what Scripture says. I love this portion of Scripture. It says, those who know your name trust in you. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken. That means you've never deserted. You've never abandoned those who seek you. Those who seek you, you've never abandoned them. You've never deserted them. But those who know your name, they trust you. <laughs> and I just wonder, like, where you are in your journey with the Lord, can you say you trust him? Can you say that you fully trust him? Do you know one of the things that I really struggled with early in my walk with God is that I had this, this strange, I would walk into church and I would know that I was redeemed, that I was saved, that, was, that my salvation was not something that I earned, but something that I received, that, that it cost the, the blood of Jesus Christ to die on the cross, and, and he paid the punishment of my sin that I could never pay, that I was broken and I was a sinner, and even while I was a sinner, God demonstrated his love towards me. And I understood that, and I'd come into church, and I would believe that I was saved, that my home was not here, but it was in heaven. But yet the smallest things in my life would cause me not to trust God. Conversation, school, sickness, or whatever it was in my life, I'd walk in and I'd be worried. I'd be overwhelmed. And I'd look at it and I couldn't figure out how to solve it. So I didn't, so I didn't trust. <laughs> I don't know what it is in our humanity, but we can often find ourselves in positions where we're we're spending so much time trying to figure out a solution to something that we were never called to figure out. And if we can't figure out a solution to it, we're filled with stress and anxiety and worry. And I really believe that God has called us not as a people to focus on everything that's around us, but focus on the one who's above us. To fix our eyes and focus our eyes on Jesus, as the scriptures say, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. As we go through this series of conversations, I want our focus to look back at not only the founding of America, but look at the identity of our great nation. And where was it forged? What were the core values and convictions? And some of you might say, well, how is that pertinent? How, what does that matter today? Have you ever seen that show, um, uh, 
uh, what is it, American Pickers. Have you ever seen that? Put your hand up if you've ever seen that. Any like yard sale like, or garage, you know, I think there's garage wars and then there's American Pickers and all these things. And I, and I love them. I think it's just fascinating. And, and these people, like, they know history, but not only know history, but they know the value of things. They know the value of things. And, and I love this. Guys will be going through garages and they'll be pulling out something and they'll pull out something that's filled with rust. And they're like, wow. And they're like, it's like crap to me, you know? And they're like, this is so rare. And they get all excited and they're like running around with this piece of rust. And you're like, this dude is crazy, you know? And then at the end of it, he's like, I can sell this for $10,000. And you're like, what? Who? To who? You know? And why? Well, there's value in it. And usually, the people who own the stuff are ignorant of the value of the things they have. And it's only when they usually part with them that they learn the significance of them. And they say, you want that? Sure, 10 bucks, you know? And they sell it, and they're like, yes. And like, well, how much are you going to sell for? Don't worry about it. Maybe $11, you know? But we can have things of great value right before us and be ignorant of it and only understand the value of it once it's gone. And so usually when you are raised with such privilege and such blessing and such significant value in what you have the liberties and the freedoms to, to experience in our country, it's, it's often as if, not that you intentionally become ignorant to it, but you're oblivious to it. And I don't want us to be a people that are oblivious to, to what we have. And not just through the forging and the intentionality of men and women, but their focus and intentionality on keeping God at the center of it. Now, some of you might say, well, there's a lot of things that went wrong with the founding of our nation. Things were not right. And as I was preparing to share this with you, I, I took this diversion in my mind, which happens about every 15 seconds, if you don't know me, and, and I'm, I'm writing this out, and I'm saying, man, this is a, a, a big picture. How many of you know when, when the class was reprimanded, it was easy to hide because it was never you, it was the class, and so as he's like, listen, everyone, we're all going to, you know, have extra work because, you know, the class is disruptive, and he's like, yeah, yeah, who cares, you know, it's never you, and it's easier to receive it and to look at it and to blame other people when it's the entire organization or class or society, so where do you begin? In order for us to look back at the nation and the founding of it and see the hand of God in it, I believe that we need to look no further than our own lives. And we need to begin there. And so before we go any further and talk about anything as far as the nation is concerned or the big picture of it, we're going to look very specifically at our own lives. There's been this verse that's been circulating across our great nation found in Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This verse says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now, for many of us, when we hear that verse, it's so easy to say, oh, that's true. It's true. We need to, as a nation, repent and humble ourselves. <laughs> well, it means 
it's got to begin with you. Why, why this happens so often, I don't know. But we have this fear of being corrected in our flesh. And so it's so easy for us to yes, the nation. <laughs> no, no, God, let it begin in me. Let me humble myself. Let me repent of my sin. And let me turn back to you. And unless we begin to look at things in a personal sense, we'll never understand the, the course or the direction that we need to go as a nation. As I was penning through some ideas of how do we navigate seasons that we find ourselves in, I began to realize something about self-focus and self-assessment. And maybe if you have this ability or this, I shouldn't say ability, well, I call it an ability, but maybe if you have this, um, this propensity, I should say, to constantly evaluate yourself. To constantly reassess and to have self-focus and to say, okay, how am I doing in this aspect? How are my finances? How is my marriage? How is my parenting? How is my physical body? Am I caring for that? How is my spiritual life? How am I in my relationships? Am I getting enough physical activity? Do I have hobbies? Do I do this? Am I reading enough? Do I have enough time in prayer? Do you, and you could go on and on and on and reassess and write all these things down. Now, is self-assessment wrong? No. It's not wrong. It can actually be a positive in the development of your spiritual growth. But we're never called in Scripture to become obsessed with ourselves and focus solely upon ourselves. And this is important for me because as we journey in, into the next few minutes to look back at our personal lives, I want to make sure that I, I address this. Nowhere in Scripture does it say become so, so focused with yourself that you don't focus on God or any other people to serve. And it's easy to fall into a trap. And I want to just let you know that it is a trap. You'll actually think you're doing yourself a benefit and you're doing yourself a disservice because you're becoming so self-focused. You're not only missing the people around you God's called you to impact, but you're missing the primary focus of the walk of a Christian, which is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. What fascinates me is how people focus and what they focus on. Over the course of my life, I've watched many presidential debates and I've watched many different dialogues and often, I'm not going to lie, if I hear people arguing about politics, I just try to get a little bit closer to my ear. Not to engage, but simply hear the conversation. I'm curious. Uh, I know where my daughter gets it from and I, I just... Uh, I want to hear, like, what, what, what is your posture? What, what do you believe? And one of the most fascinating things about me, what I've noticed in the course of just my life, I'm not talking about anyone else, just my life, is what people focus on. And for me, I, I always thought there's a bigger picture in it. And what's so fascinating, even in culture today, is what we've chosen to focus on as a people. To ridicule individuals and what they say and what they do. And there's got to be something bigger. I remember in a conversation with, with someone that did not agree with anything that I believed. Fundamentally as a Christian or even in political beliefs. And I remember talking to him and it was a great conversation. We, we were 
We were talking for almost an hour about what we believe and our worldview and how we see the world and how it's shaped. And it was a very cordial and honest conversation. And you don't have many of those conversations today. And, and one of the things that I was kind of rattled by was I said, you know, every time we go into the sphere of politics, you've not mentioned one aspect of policy or legislation in regard to what you believe. Everything that you've suggested comes upon the character attribute of the people in office. And I said, now, while you're permitted to, to share that with me, and I'm willing to hear it, I said, I always thought that it was supposed to be our opinion of how things were formed in legislation. And we continued to talk, and we continued to, to disagree politely with one another. But I walked away from that conversation realizing something. That none of us can force someone else to focus on certain things. But many times in a nation when people choose to focus on other people and focus on behaviors and attributes, you're actually missing the real thing, the real point. And we're living in a, in a culture today where people are focused on everything that's going around them in certain sense, but they're missing the real thing. Jesus is in a conversation with some Pharisees, and he's saying to them, they're coming to him, and they're like, hey, show us a sign. Give us, give us some proof that, that you are who you say you are. Just show us a sign. And, and Jesus' remark, remark, his remark towards them is, is so interesting because he says to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 16, he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. You can look around and you'll say, it will be fair weather today for the sky is red in the morning. And today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. He says, you know how to interpret the physical nature of this world. You look around and you see it and you say, it'll be this, it'll be that. He says, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times of today. He says, a wicked and an adulterous generation looks for a sign. And he says, but none will be given except for the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away. The sign of Jonah would be representation of what Jesus would experience on the cross and the crucifixion, being buried in the earth and raised to life three days later. And he's saying, you're so aware of everything that's going on around you, but you're missing the essence of it that I'm standing right before you. Let us not be a people that become so focused on everything around us that we miss the substance of what's before us, and that is Jesus. Can you say amen? Yes. This biblical mandate, or should I say lack thereof, this biblical mandate of being focused in self, as I went through Scripture and read a little bit on it, and even I found it in one of my devotionals as I was reading recently that that. Self-focus, though it may be good for us in seasons, it's not a biblical mandate at all. You can scour through the scriptures and say, hey, no, we're supposed to focus on ourselves, and nowhere will you find it. Only two times in scripture does, do we find that there is an intentional focus on self. And I wanted to share these with you because what tends to happen when we become focused on who we are, who we are, not who we are in Christ, but who we are, usually apart from who we are in Christ, we, we don't live a happy life. Everything we look at, we're like, oh, I wish I was thinner. I wish I had a better job. I wish I was healthier. I wish I was faster. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And, and we begin to feel so guilty and so um, 
condemned and ashamed, and we live this life of frustration. The Apostle Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he speaks directly about self-assessment, but the, the reason he's speaking about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is because there was a man having an affair with his stepmother in the church, and no one seemed to care. Everyone just kept going on with life. Didn't seem to be an issue to address. And Paul writes to the church and he says, you need to examine yourselves and see if faith still abides within you. Examine yourselves in a spiritual sense. Are you still walking by faith? And then the only other time that he addresses this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this was another issue of the Lord's Supper. People were gathering together to break bread for the Lord's Supper, and people were gathering together, and all they were doing was getting drunk on wine. I know that doesn't happen today at all, but people were gathering together, and they're just getting drunk on wine. And, and Paul writes, and he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before partaking in the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we examine ourselves so that we can honor God in our actions in our thoughts and our behaviors. But you will not examine and self-focus and have such a self-focus on yourself that you will become the person you really desire to be. It's only when we stop looking at who we are and start fixing our eyes on Jesus that he actually starts doing. Do you know what it really means? It means that you take the tools that you think you have to fix you and you say, okay, God, you can have them. Do you know when, when, when we do an altar call at the end of every service, I always have this heavy burden on my heart when we give the altar call and people are saying this in their mind, I'm not fixed up enough yet. I'm not good enough yet. I need to sort things out. I need to deal with this addiction. I need to get my marriage back on track. I need to deal with this gambling addiction or this pornography addiction. I need to deal with it. Once I deal with these things, then God will welcome me. No, 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 my friend. You can't fix you. Sin cannot fix sin. You are the object of the problem. You need someone outside of you and beyond you to come in and sort out the issues within you. And it's only in and with the power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to overcome the very things that we're battling and dealing with. And for a long time, even when you understand that in the aspect of salvation, it's so easy after you're saved, you're like, all right, God saved me. He redeemed me. Well, how did he do it? He did not need you to get the tools out and begin to tinker on your own heart. He did it. He did it. And somewhere in our humanity, after we're saved, we're like, all right, God, here we go. Let's get to work. Let's start fixing this in me and fix it. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who did all the work in fixing the heart? Who brought you from death to life? Who redeemed you? Who saved you? Who purchased your salvation? Was it you? Did you do that? Or did I? And I really believe it comes down to this understanding of who God is and having a trust in him. Saying, God, I trust you that you'll work it out in me. That you'll over time, as I focus and fix my eyes on you, that you'll begin to work out those things that I'd be spending decades of time trying to work out and I could never work out. Huh. I remember learning about Hinduism, and all of us have areas in our lives when we look back we want to get rid of. Isn't it interesting how you remember your past? 
People say, tell me about yourself. Have you ever begun a conversation to say, well, man, let me tell you about myself. This is how big of a mess I was, and I did this, and I did this. I left home. My parents disowned me. I had this. I lost all my money, addicted to drugs, blah, 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 whatever it is. How many times when people ask you to tell you about them yourself, do you begin with all your failures? Oh, man, let me tell you about this time that I got kicked out of school. Let me tell you about this time where I lied to my parents. Let me tell you about this time where... I messed up big time here, and let me tell you about this failure. Let me tell you this time I got arrested, and this time where I was so embarrassed. Let me, like, you don't begin that way. But all of us have this propensity when we turn around and look at our past, all we see is pain. All we see are the mistakes. And I don't know what it is in our humanity, but when we look back, we tend to remember all the things we forget and forget all the things that we should remember. And there's something that God wants us to understand. Hinduism says, rid yourself to find yourself. And if you're not careful, it makes sense. It's like, wow, there's parallels in Christianity. Well, not really. It's a complete opposite. We rid ourselves, not to find ourselves, we rid ourselves of our fleshly desires to find Him. And it's in knowing Him that we know who we are. And so it's completely different. There's a biblical paradox in Scripture talking about remembering and forgetting. And this dynamic is, is so interesting to me. And if you're not careful, you'll, be get, you'll get confused by it because you'll read Scriptures like Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, They, speaking of the church, triumphed over Him, our adversary, by the blood of the land, the finished work of Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony, that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. To speak to that understanding... Like the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That I'm no longer a slave to sin. My life that I live in the body today, I live by faith. So that which held me bound to, to, by sin in the past, I've died to that. And to live is Christ. And to die is to gain. So you begin to read this and you're like, hold on, you're telling me that there's power in my testimony. Well, that would require me to remember that which happened in the past. But then Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but I do one thing. I forget what is behind me and I strain towards what is ahead. Well, what do you want from me, Paul? Do you want me to forget or do you want me to remember? Do you want me to remember or forget? You just tell me which one you want me to do and I'll work towards doing it. And he says, I want you to do both. I want you to do both. I want you to remember that which points to God. And I want you to forget that which points you away from him. I want you to remember where Christ brought you from. And I want you to forget about the pain and the hurt and all that stuff in the past. There's this story in the Bible about this man who was lame by the pool Bethsaida. And it's such a powerful story in its context because Jesus shows up and this man has been laying there for years. It's nearly his whole life. And the scripture reads that the waters would stir and people who were able to get in first would get healed, but he was never, never able to get in the water in time to be healed. And so he just sat there on a mat, lame, begging every day. And Jesus approaches him, and I love the, 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 the gentleness in our Savior because he says, what do you want from me? 
not assuming, not taking any liberties in the sense of saying, this is what you need. He says, what do you want? And he began to complain and say, well, every time the water stirs, I can't get in. There's no one here to carry me. And, and Jesus speaks words of healing over the man. And he says, get up, take your mat and go. And I think this story perfectly orchestrates what God wants us to do in our life. He wants us to get up from the place of brokenness of where we are and to move forward towards him. But he instructs us to pick up a portion of what was our past. He told the man, take the mat with you. Now I have to tell you, if I was laying on a mat for for decades, I probably wouldn't want to take it with me. I would want to leave it there. But he instructs them to take it. He says, take it with you. And there's something in that, in that text that resonates with me personally. Where God says, I'm not afraid of your brokenness. I've come to redeem it. I'm not intimidated by your pain. I've come to heal it. I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed by your thoughts and your actions. And It doesn't overwhelm me. I've come to restore and to redeem and to set free. So see, he's not afraid of those things you're afraid of. When you look at your past, it's so easy to say, man, I... Let me tell you the revised version of my past. But there's no power in that. God wants the glory to be given to him, not given to you. And the power of your testimony is not to make your past, your path, your past, path, look even and easy and perfect and smooth. He wants you to be transparent and honest with yourself. And say, man, God, my, my past is broken. There's, there's issues in it I wish I could hide and cover up. But, God, I knew that you were with me in those broken seasons and those painful seasons. And, God, I'm just so grateful that you were there. That's what God wants you to remember. Every time you see the mat of your past, he wants you to recall his faithfulness in that moment when you had no one else to rely on, that he was the one who you could trust in. Then he came and met you where you were in your brokenness and picked you up out of your brokenness and said, hey, follow me. So I want you to remember who I was and where you were, but I want to forget all of the brokenness that it's attached to your past. There's challenges for each of us. There's challenges in all of our stories. Every one of you who are here today and watching online, you have a story. And it's so easy to look back at our stories and point at all the problems. But as we talk through this conversation over the course of the next five weeks, I want you to know something. When we turn around and look at the history of this great nation, there's points of pain and anguish and embarrassment. There's points of sadness and ridicule. But can I tell you something? The hand of Jesus is in our past. And there were many people who were before us, many today, and by the grace of God, many, when all of us are gone, who can declare, it is in God who I trust. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will fix our eyes on Jesus, who the scriptures say is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I don't think we can properly heal to move forward if we don't understand how to look at our past. And I want all of us to lift our heads high, not because of our perfection of our past, but for the one who redeemed it. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Let me pray for you. Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This word liberty is something that is so significant in the founding of our nation because it has to do with freedom. And we know that word word well in our country today, but real freedom, real true freedom is found in knowing Jesus. And wherever you find yourself today in whatever story, wherever you find yourself in the journey of life, I should say, I want you to know something that that Jesus calls you right where you are in the midst of your journey to surrender your life to him to find real freedom. And so in this moment, what we're going to do is pray for those who are far from God. Some of you say, I, I don't understand. What do I need to be saved from? Many people have this misunderstanding that, that God sends people to hell. That's the furthest thing from the truth. We're already going there because of the inherited sin in our life. But God developed a rescue plan for humanity. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, from heaven to earth. He did not ask us to ascend to heaven. He sent his son from heaven to earth. And while we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love towards us and gave up his life. Your salvation was purchased with the blood of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to ask you... um, Are you ready to come home and surrender your life to Jesus? To make a confession and a declaration, as many did in the founding of our nation. This declaration of, I need God. I need God. I cannot do it in my own strength. And so if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so if you're watching online or you're here present today, I want you to repeat this prayer. We're all going to say it together. But those who are saying it for the first time, though it's simple, it's significant. The Bible says that you go from death to life when you confess your need of Jesus. So come on, church, and say this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross and were raised to life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's clap. Come on, really clap for everybody that said that prayer. Hey, will you stand to your feet with me? and? Uh, Man, I feel like our time every, every Sunday, I don't know if it just seems like hours pass by quicker, but it seems like it's so short each time, and maybe you're here like, man, that was plenty long enough, and uh, I just love being in a gathering with people that love Jesus and, and worshiping with you, and listen, if you said yes to Jesus, I have one request of you. As you exit today, I want, you, I want to give you this gift. It's a Bible from, from me to you, um, and you might say, oh, I have a Bible. That's fine, but we'd love to bless you with this. It's a copy of the New Testament. Um, also, we'd love to just make an introduction. You weren't created to do life alone. You're meant to do it in relationship with other people. So we'd love to get this in your hand to encourage you as you go today. And for everyone that's watching online, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, right below the screen, you'll see a button that says, I've made a decision. But in addition to that, um, there's pastors and team members online. They'd love to talk with you, pray with you, wherever you find yourself today. Um, They'd love to meet you right where you are. But man, church, I'm, I'm excited about what God continues to do. Let me challenge you with this thought. May your focus this week be on things above.
may you lift your eyes and your ears to the things of heaven because you will trust the one that you know and not just know about but know and it's my heart that you truly know God and his love towards you and his mercies towards you and his grace towards you so that every day that you wake up you don't give away something that has been given to you and I want you to I want to leave you as we were in our staff meeting last week, it just dawned on me that you cannot, you know, you can't give what you don't carry. And as sons and daughters of God, if we want to give out love and mercy and peace and joy to people, the fruits of the Spirit to people in our world, we got to be carriers of it. And the only way that we carry it is if we're in the Word of God and we're filling our spirit. Amen. Hey, can you stretch your hands to heaven and let me pray for you before you go today? If you need prayer, make sure you stop at the next separate room as you exit today. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you wherever you find yourself. Father, I thank you for your sons and daughters. Father, I thank you for every family represented here today. Father, I thank you that you've given us freedoms and liberties in this great nation. But Father, the greatest freedom gift that you've given to humanity is this, your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray today as we exit this building that we can be the church, that we can fix our eyes on you. And though we say it in these walls, God, may it be a reality at our home. May the sound in our homes be a sound of faith. May it be a sound of, of confidence. May it be a sound of authority. May it be a sound of peace and joy. May it not come from our, our human endeavors. May it not come from our own intellect or from our striving, but may it come from a posture of humility and a posture of understanding who you are in our homes, Father. Father, we are forever grateful for the, for the continued work that you do in us. Father, be with us as we go today. In your precious and holy name we pray, a faithful church said, amen. amen. God bless, guys.